0: is the art of masculinity with your host Johnny Belsassin. Welcome back. Today's guest is Mark Divine. Most people think of him as the epitome of mental toughness and around that on how he was a Navy SEAL. But what they don't expect is that Mark is a very deep individual. He's thoughtful and yoga innovating, joking and laughing, and a professor of leadership. At 26, he graduated as Honor Man, which is the number one ranked trainee of SEAL buds, class number 170. Mark served for nine years total on active duty and 11 as a reserve SEAL, retiring as a commander in 2011. His leadership of teams was so effective, the government tasked him with creating a nationwide mentoring program for seal trainees. Not only did it increase the quality of the Navy seal candidates, but it also reduced the attrition rate in buds up to 5%, just an amazing human being. And the depths of who he is as a, you know, spiritual warrior, I believe him to be somebody who's tapped in, not only to his own awareness, but to the ether of the universe and in himself, with the fact that he has been to combat. He is part of one of the toughest groups out there on the planet, being a former Navy SEAL. Just a special, special episode. Truly loved spending time with Mark. So if you guys don't know him, you will get the opportunity to know who he is on this episode. We have a great time together. And He just drops so many different nuggets. I had to go back and listen to it and pull some stuff out for myself because such an amazing, amazing human. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode as much as I did, not only listening to it, but being part of it. And as always, guys, I'll see you guys around the corner. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Art of Masculinity. Today's guest is absolutely, you guys heard who it is, but just an amazing human being. I have the utmost respect for him with the way that he presents himself to the world today, how he's challenging everybody to grow and just a special person in this world. So Mark, thank you for being on today. It's really excited to have you on.
1: Oh man, it's an honor to be here. Thanks for that really nice intro. Appreciate that, Johnny. It's
0: awesome. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, you know it's been it's one of the journeys since I've gotten out of special operations has been to grow really in the same way that you have grown in your life and I look at you as somebody who's incredibly inspiring from coming from such an alpha background of Navy seals to being this very well blended warrior both spiritually, mentally, physically, intellectually. I mean you kind of run the gamut on that and I wanted to kind of open the conversation there. What was it in you that led you to, to being such a, or to finding this path of kind of enlightenment through the broad spectrum of the world, as opposed to just focusing on being that warrior in the seals?
1: Yeah, I love that. Um, And such a great place to start because it really is kind of foundational to who I am today in that. I, I wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be having this conversation. In fact, I wouldn't even have been a Navy SEAL had I not stumbled upon meditation when I was 21 years old, mm. uh, four years before I joined the Navy. I, I, in fact, it's the reason I joined the SEALs. Mm. And so um, without turning this into a long, drawn-out story, you know, I was a pretty average guy in upstate New York, small town. You know, I wasn't quite a hick, but I was around a lot of hicks. Mm. And... Uh, and, um, I didn't have a lot of confidence because I grew up in a pretty rough family, which is not uncommon for special operators, right. To, to be drawn yeah. to spec ops when you get, you know, if you get brought up in kind of a traumatic, um, abusive relationship or family with it. because you get pretty tough. Right. <laughs> and <laughs> Glut- and also, you're a glutton for
0: punishment and you're
1: glutton for punishment. And also you kind of crave control. Right. And so I, I know a lot of guys in the seals and special forces actually are phenomenally mentally resilient, but they grew up in traumatic situations or, you know, didn't have parents or something Anyways, I had parents, but my dad was a real tough guy. Mm. Um, at any rate, so what that led me to, um, spend a lot of time on my own just to get the hell out of the house. Um, and so I became very comfortable in nature. You know, I was uh, running around the Adirondack mountains and then I got into endurance sports. So I was a competitive swimmer and then rower. Um, and a uh, triathlete, a lot of that was just you know just to freaking work out my own demons, and to like I said just to get out right. And I was comfortable mm-hmm. in my own head when I could do those things, and the and the, and the um, hardcore work really kind of helped me find some solace. Uh, so that led me to Colgate University. I swam competitively at Colgate. Colgate's a pretty damn good school. I was fortunate enough to have huh. some intellect. I, I really honor my parents for giving me this physical body and, and some intellect. And um yeah. and so then I, you know, when I graduated from Colgate with a pretty average, you know, GPA, but good enough to get a job at a company called Cooper's and Library, which is now PricewaterhouseCoopers. Cooper's. Oh wow. And they sent they sent me to NYU as part of this this large study program with, with a bunch of other um you know companies that wanted to hire big eight accounting firms, which is now the big four, that wanted to hire liberal arts graduates instead of accounting graduates, because they thought they'd make make a more well-rounded partner someday.
2: Mm.
1: At any rate, it actually worked out, because my best friend is the CEO of Ernst & Young, or EY, and and he was a Colgate attorney brother of mine who got hired in the (laughs) same program. So it worked, but not for me. Most of us blasted out. (laughs) So there I was in New York, and I was deeply committed to not taking the path of everyone else I saw in that white collar corporate world, which is um, basically to let their, you know, become workaholics and to let their bodies, you know, just kind of waste away because I, I didn't like what I saw. I didn't like the pasty white kind of puffy look of all the people I work with. And and I was a, and so I kept training, you know, I was like weird like that. Like a lot of soft yeah. guys, I was just like I loved training. And so I I would wake up every morning and I'd run you know, five, six miles. And then I would um go to the gym at lunchtime when everyone else would go out to their high carb lunch. And then at night, we were, um, we were sponsored at NYU to go to school for business school, at the Stern School of Business. And I had two hours, basically a window between when I, they had to let me off work around five-ish so that we could get down to the World Trade Center, which is where NYU was at the time, business school, at seven yeah. to start classes. And so I looked at that when most people went home and ate dinner and you know, changed their clothes and whatever, studied. And I was like, wow, there's a training window right there, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but I had already run and I already gone to the gym. So what am I gonna do? One day I was walking home in 23rd street, I lived on 22nd street in Manhattan. And I heard, I heard all this, all these shouts coming from the second floor of this building. And I stopped and I looked up and I was standing under this big flag and it said, world Sado karate headquarters. I was like, huh? Hmm. So I went up there and um, I saw, when I walked on the floor, it was a black belt class it was about a hundred students, huge school. And there in the middle was this, you know, five foot four Japanese man with a black belt on that, you know, had nine stripes on it. Mm. And, um, this guy was a monster, right? Like he was, he projected himself to be more like a six foot guy with this <laughs> intense energy. And like, he, you know, he could, I could tell he could just tear you apart in a, in a instant. And at the same time, Mm. he was just laughing it up and having a good old time with the black belt students. And he like, I was like, wow, what is that guy? What is he eating? There's something really different about him. (laughs) And I wanted that, right? I wanted what I saw. So I started training with him and it turns out, and this gets back to the question and I'll get back on track with this, but it turns out he was also a Zen master. He was a founder Mm. of this karate school. His name is Sadashi Nakamura. And he was also a Zen master. And so he had a small group of students, uh, black belts, that he would teach Zen for, you know, do a 45 to hour long session every Thursday. And so I asked him as a white belt if I could join him. And he said, sure. And so there were only like 10 of us out of hundreds of students. This is 1985. So I started mm-hmm. um, meditation with him and, and I really loved it. Johnny, because it reminded me of how I felt when I was out on a long run or walk in the woods, you know, when my mind would finally settle down. And here I am in the cacophony of New York and working my ass off and going to school at night and, you know, in partying way too hard because that was part of my family dynamics. Mm. And yet every time (laughs) I sat on that meditation bench after 45 minutes, even though it was hard, I just felt amazing. Yeah. And so I stuck with it and I started to do it every day. Now we did do like train six days a week. We did do like a short three to four minute meditation before and after each workout, but I added about 20 minute morning session to my routine. I would mm. do it after I, after my run. And I, and I committed to that just because I really believed in Nakamura and I started to read things like um, Zen mind, beginners mind from Suzuki and, Tried to, you know, learn Japanese on my own, which was a huge failure, by the way, (laughs) you know, I started to look at myself in that early, those early years as kind of like, you know, this, this, this samurai warrior, right. Who had both the hard and the soft, you know, could kick ass, was super physically fit, but also was completely at peace. And, and I was anything but at peace, but I was had this fantasy in my mind, which started to become reality. The longer I sat on that wooden bench. Mm. And then what happened to me? So at this time I had no interest in the spec ops, no interest in the military whatsoever. My father was super negative toward the military. Mm. And the reason for that was, um, he was kind of a drunk too, (laughs) which is why I was obviously that's (laughs) how that works. Right. And so in in his his college experience, he he got shit face and he drove his car into a fraternity house. Right. Oh, wow. And, um, you know, that was kind of frowned upon. And so, uh, He's found himself standing in front of a judge and the judge back then was like, dude, you know, you have this great opportunity. You're in front of you and you're, and you're fucking it up. So mm-hmm. here's the deal. You can either go to jail, option A, or you can join the army for two years. And dad says option <laughs> B. And my dad says, I'll take B. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he found himself in the 11th Airborne, which was a crappy oh, wow. unit over in Germany. Maybe you know about it. They were over in Germany, and they got disbanded or disbarred, you know, because they were all, because Germany, they didn't really have a mission in the, in the 50s or 60s, yeah. whenever he was there, late 50s. And um, they were all just partying all the time, and, and so he had a horrible experience. And, at any rate, so, so for him, joining the military was something you do if you fucked up, or if you had nothing else to do, or if you were a loser, right, or whatever. interesting. Oh, and he... Interesting. He was fortunate enough to have had a business handed to him, um, you know, down to the generations. It's still in my family and all my siblings work there to this day. And so it's an over a oh, wow. hundred year old business. And so he was, you know, CEO of this business now and CEO of the YMCA and trying to present, you know, all this public, this public face mm-hmm. of being this, you know, real solid leader, even though at home he was a disaster. So yeah. there was no way that I was going to be in the military. So we didn't talk about it. What was okay was for me to go into business because business is where the divines went. And so that was my conditioning. And, I, and so I followed that. Like, like most people, they, you, you get, your mind is a piece of clay when you're born. And, and then you get, you know, it gets shaped by the world around you. It literally gets trained by your parents and by culture and your peers and whatever. And when I started Zen meditation, it's the first time unbeknownst to me that I started to train my mind. And I took back control over my mind from mm. all the training that my parents and, and culture and all the bullshit, you know, schooling, all the, you know, all the different grooves that had been written into my brain, I started to rewire those. And so about a year into this training, I began to experience some pretty extraordinary things. Right? Not only did I feel more calm and peaceful, but I had these these wickedly extended flow states. And I would get off the bench and and I'd go back and you know, walk down the street and everyone's just racing by me. And I feel like I'm just kind of walking about an inch above the ground and just taking in incredible colors and scenes and smells. All my senses were on fire and I mm. just felt completely connected to everything. And this is in the heart of New York city. It was crazy. And these would, this would last for about an hour. And, um, and then I started to get. I guess you would just call it insight you know or intuition mm-hmm. so my internal senses started to come alive and i started to get uh, real strong negative feelings about what i was doing and mm-hmm. i just had this like this impending sense of doom that i was like barreling down the wrong track fast and oh, so I wow. started, I started that journal, right? Cause all these, inf- all this information was flooding to me and all these emotions were coming to me because you gotta, you know, for those who are listening, who've been in kind of tumultuous families, you pretty much shut down your emotions and guys shut down anyway, especially special operators, you know, we kind of yeah. shut down and we have a pretty narrow range of emotional awareness. And I certainly was in that camp. But when you meditate, all of a sudden, every, all that comes online. Because you're training your mind, and part of your mind is your emotional body-mind. right? It's, you know, Cognition mm-hmm. and emotion are just two aspects of your mind. In fact, your whole body is your mind, is your mind's vehicle for experiencing reality. So mm-hmm. I started to learn that and live into that. And my body came alive as a primary source of information for me. So I started to get out of my head and into my body. And what I was embodying was a sense that I had chosen poorly that I was living a life for someone else, my parents and in society. And even though I was doing everything great and I was, I was a classic perfectionist and overachiever to kind of overcompensate for my feelings of low self-esteem and low self-worth because of the abuse that I had endured. You know, it, and even though I was smart enough to get the MBA and CPA and you know, all that kind of stuff and put points on the board, deep down, my spirit was telling me that's the wrong thing. So once I, I started to understand that, I began to ask, well, if not that, then what? If I'm mm-hmm. not meant to be in business world, at least right now, what, what am I meant to be? And what kept coming back to me was the word you used, warrior. I'm a warrior. Mm-hmm. Now, mind you, I didn't get information that said, you're a Navy SEAL, go be a Navy SEAL. I didn't <laughs> know who the hell the <laughs> Navy SEALs were. And this is 21, 22 years old. We didn't have Charlie Sheen's yeah. movie and, you know, all this <laughs> You know we couldn't watch navy (laughs) seals on tv i mean literally there was no information about the seals in 1985 it was a couple vietnam era books so at any rate this went on for about two years and i finally you know got the cojones up to start thinking seriously about if i'm a warrior if i'm meant to be a warrior then how would that look Mm -hmm. and so i started to imagine like what could what would me as a warrior look like? Well, I knew that I was, I loved fitness. I loved training. I loved the outdoors. I was kind of a risk taker. Like I was, you know, probably like you, I, I would do crazy shit, you know, and my parents were always thinking I was about ready to kill myself because I was.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you know,
1: <laughs> partly, partly because, you know, things were so painful under the roof that, you know, I was out there. I maybe I didn't care if I fucking off myself, right? I just, Things are too painful, right? So I was very much of a risk taker. And so I started to think, well, what could I do that kind of fit that? Those things I'm passionate about that are also warrior-like. And I was like, well, obviously the military fits that, right? Mm -hmm. But I also looked at like, maybe I could be a roughneck, you know, and go work on an oil (laughs) rig in the the North Sea or something.
0: Oh, man. And I began to visualize
1: (laughs) and imagine that. And I was like, oh, you know, that actually sounds kind of boring, you know? And then I thought, what would it be look like if I was um, a, a fighter jockey for the Marine Corps? And I imagined that. I, I started the practice of visualization. I had already learned to visualize through my swim program because I had a, a swim coach who was kind of a pioneer in visualization. It's pretty mm. cool experiences there. So I started to visualize like what it would be like to do these different things. And I kept getting information for most of the things that that wasn't it. And then I started to think, well. I'm not sure the military's it until one day I was walking home from work. This is the second time, you know, I had like this cool thing happen when I was walking home from work, I walked by a Navy recruiting office, just inadvertently. I wasn't trying to find it, but I walked by it and there was this big poster on the wall and the poster didn't say anything about the seals. It just had the title, be someone special. And it had imagery Hmm. that you can imagine of seals doing cool shit, right? You know, free fall parachuting and locking out of a submarine and they had though, like a little. Bush that had a sniper in it that you could barely see. I was just transfixed. (laughs) And I was like, that's it. Whatever those guys Mm -hmm. are, that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm supposed to do. Wow. It's crazy. And so meditation, you know, I'm trying to wrap this rabbit hole that I dug for your simple question. (laughs) This
0: is beautiful.
1: Meditation led me to discover my calling. And it gave me a daily practice that I never turned my back on. And so part mm-hmm. of that, you no, know, imagine this. So here I am doing this martial art and I'm learning breath control training because it's a big part of what Nakamura taught us, you know, how to do different controlled yeah. breathing exercises. This is in the 1980s. And so I developed a practice called box breathing out of that, which, you know, get nothing new, you know, yoga has been doing that type of controlled nostril breathing for thousands of years. And I added that to my morning routine. And then I just, I knew how to meditate, which, you know, with Zen boot camp training, it was like concentration. And then you just drop off the concentration and you just experience, you know, um, non-thinking, what they call Mm -hmm. MU and it takes a long time to develop that experience, but once you get it, there's no going back, right? You just get to, get to have that experience, which is extraordinary. And then you have access to this, this, all this information. And then I also had developed a deep practice of visualization because A, it worked for me when I was swimming, pretty cool experiences there. And then B, I started to use it with visualizing a potential future and that became a practice. So when I decided I wanted to be a seal, I began to visualize myself going through seal training as best I could. I just had a, Mm -hmm. um, the recruiting video called be someone special, and I played it about 20 times and then I inserted myself into the video in my head. And that became my future self visualization. And I practiced that every morning while I was trying to get into the SEALs. And the recruiters were, you know, were trying to warn me that not to get my hopes up. They said, you know, coming from a civilian life in the SEALs, you know, as an officer, most most probably same thing in the Rangers. Most officers, all officers come from either the academies or ROTC or they're already in the Navy and they cross over. Mm they only take one to two guys from the civilian world through OCS directly into BUDS, And so my statistical chances were extraordinarily low because there were a lot of dudes who wanted to do that. But I visualized it every morning. I did my run and then I would come back and I would sit down on the bench and I would concentrate and then meditate and breathe, concentrate, meditate, and then visualize in that order. And Nine months or so into this practice, when I had finally committed, I'm gonna be a Navy SEAL, and I did this practice every single morning while I was still working at Cooper's and Library, and then I switched over to another company later on. Nine months or so into this practice, I had had this complete shift in my, my inner state of knowingness or my inner cognition. And it went, I went from this person I know as Mark wants to be, desires to be, hopes to be a Navy SEAL to this person has already earned the Navy seal title. I've already mm. done it. I've won it in my mind. It's already happened. I just have to, I just have to continue to train hard, show up and go through the motions, right? I went from, from desire to certainty. Mm. And literally three or four days after I had that feeling kind of wash over me, my the recruiter called and said, congratulations, Mark, you know, you got one of the two billets this year. And I just kind of wow. smiled and I was like, and I was really quiet and he goes, you don't seem that excited. I said, well, actually I am pretty excited, but for some reason I knew this was going to happen. Yeah. And then when I went to SEAL training, class 170, so oh, let me back up a little bit. So there I was, 1989, November of 1989, I received my MBA from Stern School of Business. I finished it and received it actually in the mail because I didn't go to the actual graduation because I graduated kind of off calendar, off queue. I got my certified public accountancy finally, finished up, wrapped up after four attempts to pass that test, and got that in the mail. I tested for my first-degree black belt with Nakamura at Sato, got that, crushed it. Oh, wow. And then I walked away from everything. Got on a bus, kissed New York goodbye and went to Officer Canada School with, with a follow-on orders to go to Seal Buds class 170. And then when I got to 170, and classed up with 185 awesome dudes. And 19 of us graduated six months later and I was an honor man in my class and my entire boat crew of six other guys graduated with me because I committed to get them through training and we committed to each mm. other. And I taught them these skills. I taught them box breathing or box, you know, breath control. I taught them how to concentrate and how mm. to focus on, you know, radically focus on the single thing that you had to do right now in front of them and not get distracted. I taught them to have micro goals and not, um, worry about what happens tomorrow or next week or three months from now. I taught them how to visualize success Mm. and uh, we just crushed it. Like we just dominated it and had fun too. It was crazy. And so, and so that, you know, that experience and the experience I had as a seal where I continue to do work on those skills and continue my daily practice. When I got off active duty, um, And I had some time where I got off, and then got back in, and got you know went to war, kind of like you do, because or you did, because everyone had to go to war, reserve or not. Yeah. Um, I wanted to bring these skills back to the community because they weren't being taught.
2: Mm -hmm. Contrary
1: to what most people think, you know, Spec Ops back then did not teach these skills.
2: They still don't. (laughs) They still don't
1: really. Now the SEALs are starting to implement. A lot of the techniques yeah. that I innovated, they're starting to innovate or implement box breathing and visualization before evolutions and whatnot. And they use, they recommend my book Unbeatable Mind and whatnot. So it's really cool to see that come full circle. So I wanted to teach these young warriors, the next generation of warriors, how to do these skills, not just to make them better um, in combat and survive and also to, to be pre-resilient so they didn't have the effects of post-traumatic stress, but also so they could be more aware warriors mm-hmm. because one of the outcomes of, of meditation is that you evolve into higher stages of development where you become more inclusive and more caring and have more compassion. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't, you know, I, and still you saw real egregious examples of people who didn't have that, you know, like Eddie Gallagher and others in the seals who, and also all spec ops or military who were just got worn out at the edges and, and were just over there playing whack-a-mole. Yeah. And killing the wrong people, you know what I mean? Or killing people for the wrong reasons. Yeah. And um, that's no way to win a war, right? You got to win the hearts and minds. And, you know, we know all this, but, you know, it's, it's really yeah. up to the people on the ground who are fighting to implement the strategies and to not fuck things up. And so I knew that the, the skills that I had learned would really help people. And they have. And 90% of the SEALs that I teach get through BUDS, get through Navy SEAL mm. training, which is compared yeah. to like an 80% fail rate for the average person. Yeah, that's amazing. Anyways, I I went on for like a long time there. Sorry about that.
0: That's no. This is it's beautiful because there's so much that I want. Like I hear a lot of these things, and there's a few things I want to take out of there. But one of the main things I want to focus on real quick was that you know this balance that you've created in the man that you show up as. It 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 permeates everybody, every every social setting you get into. It permeates through the way that your business operates and how people see you. And what I see in men today, and maybe you do as well, is there's, I think there's a fractured approach to what a warrior really is. Mm -hmm. I think that people think the warrior is like the punisher, right? Just killing without any remorse and taking justice and is hardened and has no emotions and all these things. And it's all drive, drive,
1: drive, you know, mental toughnesses, you know, just like barbell curls for the brain, just go harder, push harder, you know, and you hear that from my, my teammates, Goggins and Jocko and I love those guys. And, And they have a fun message, but it is one dimensional, in my opinion. And I love this. Yeah. And I I don't want, you know, that to sound negative at all. It works for them. But uh, I think you have to have the hard and the soft, the yin and the yang. And uh, a balanced approach is the enduring approach. Mm -hmm. And it's also the more compassionate approach, compassionate to yourself, which leads to compassion for others
0: well and p- perfectly said and what i what i wanted to expand on with you is like how much joy and happiness that you also receive in life by incorporating yeah. that balanced approach so just opening that door a little bit too because you you've received a lot of success but you are a joyful person you're happy you laugh you have fun with your the people that you mentor and right. train but that all comes from the balance that you have and so you know, let's talk about how guys can really start to see the warrior differently, like the Japanese, the samurai, right? To have that yeah. balanced approach to life.
1: Well, first of all, recognize that we've been taught to always look for success and, and um, happiness outside of ourselves, and you'll never find it out there. Mm. And so that's why warriors were always like, just send me back into the, you know, into the fight. And then they come home and it's like, things are really uncomfortable because they gotta be around their family and their wives actually want them to talk to them. and <laughs> Their kids yeah. want them to yeah. play with them. And they're like, they're, they're biased toward action. And if they're not getting mm-hmm. action, they, they just get agitated and they want more. And when yeah. they're in action, whether training or on an op, they're okay because they're distracted and, and they're freaking mm-hmm. happy and they have fun and, and there's nothing like, you know, the jokes that, and the, and the, and the crazy stories that come out of our work, you know what I mean? But then, you yeah. know, what happens. Most guys get home and they, you know, they drink themselves silly and they, they blow up their relationships. And mm-hmm. anyways, it's because we have this massive bias toward action. And this isn't just for warriors. It's for everybody in society it's the way right. our culture is. And so you have to balance that bias for action with a bias for, for stillness. It doesn't have to be equal time. This is where people get a little confused because you think, well, you know, if I work out for two hours a day, then am I supposed to also meditate for two hours a day or do yoga for two hours a day? No, no, no. Because when you uh, practice stillness, you go into that timeless state and five minutes of stillness could equal days and days of like a retreat, you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. incredible the recovery and the calmness and the peace of mind that could come from just five minutes of real stillness, non, you know, not thinking, not you know, thinkitating, which is what most people you know, do when they meditate. <laughs> so to, to recognize that that 20 minutes every morning is gold and yeah. it, might, it might just become like it is for me, the most important part of your day. And what you'll find when you create that morning ritual and evening ritual of, of, of stillness, of quiet, of looking within for, for the meaning, for the why of your life, looking within for the peace of mind, looking within for your goodness, not trying to project it outward through, you know, being the best, biggest, baddest, hardest warrior or, or person or most successful CEO or whatever. None of that really matters, especially when you're on your deathbed, right? You look within right. for the meaning for the why, for the happiness, for the compassion, for the self-love. And guess what? You'll find it because it's all there. Mm. Everybody has it. Without fail, it's there. You just got to quiet mm-hmm. the mind and let it reveal itself. So that, I call that whole practice is winning in your mind before you step foot in the battlefield. And that actually comes from a great Sun Tzu quote, right? The yeah. victorious warriors win in their mind before they step foot in the battlefield. Everyone else goes to the battlefield hoping to win. Something like yep. that. Yeah, So that's really the, the most important thing. And that balancing of the yin and the yang, the hard and the soft, and that practice then becomes one where eventually you don't even need to do much in the morning or the evening. You, you, you take it off the mat, so to speak. So to speak, mm-hmm. you, 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 you develop this capacity to maintain an internal awareness while you're in action. So that again, back to the martial traditions, they had this notion of, stillness in action, in action, in stillness. Mm-hmm. And that was represented from the yin yang symbol where you had the dot in the middle of each, the, you know, you had a white dot in the middle of the black part and the black dot yep. in the middle of the white part. And the white represented inaction or stillness or recovery. The yin and the black represents action or the yang projecting power, you know, doing. But mm-hmm. the little white dot or the black dot, the white dot in the black representing that, that stillness that you found in the action. So, you know, like if you go into combat and you're all agitated, you're fucked. But if you go into combat and you have that stillness inside because you've practiced and you're calm in the most extreme, intense environment and you maintain that internal awareness, then you can access that flow state and you can control time. Mm-hmm. And this is when, you know, yeah. everything seems to be slow and you can almost see, see the bullets or you can see people you know, in the slow mo, and, and you're able to just take a bead and take you know take a shot and move on, and everything seems kind of slow and smooth and smooth as fast. That's where that's you know, in the same country. And then the other side, in stillness, there's still a lot going on, and so the black dot and the white, re, you know, represents action and stillness. And the action that, that is in stillness is the is the movement of stuck energy. So the emotional Mm. healing of your shadow, because you got, you're giving it time to release. It is the recognition of, um, intuition and, um, instinctual urges that need to be met or else you're going to be unfulfilled in life. Mm -hmm. You can only find that through the stillness. And then that, then that stirs up the, you know, the action. It's almost like, you know, those things have settled to the bottom of your pond and you, so you don't think they're there, but when you go into the deep meditation, you know, suddenly Mm -hmm. it starts to kind of drift up from the bottom. I don't know if I answered your question, but, um, no, it's, it's, that's, that's the main thing I think is to start a practice of slowing down and just and looking within and make that a daily commitment and just watch the magic unfold.
0: Yeah, you, you did. And you did it in a way that was very eloquent because the fact that men, I think, need to hear that the balance that is created through that symbol, but also through that type of practice, because the whole point of, of the question was revolving around the fact that I think so many men are stuck in this kind of picture of a uber masculine warrior that isn't necessarily what is true to history or even the true warriors historically. So giving them that perspective of, of what you see in the samurai, but also the perspective of your background, because you were kind of the front runner of this. You know, we don't, in, in Rangers, we never practiced a lot of what you're teaching. And only till I got out, did I start to see value in that. Um, right. And so giving this to warriors now, whether it's real warriors or men who want to see themselves as warriors in society is is what's really profound. But part yeah. of this also, I wanted to lead into was you have the, I believe it's the five mountains, right? Mm -hmm. And those kind of, they lend to this balance. And I want to open that up as well to the men out there and talk a little bit about what those five mountains are and how they can help us create that equilibrium within our lives.
1: That's right. That's a great question. Um, So when I you know was learning from Nakamura I was just doing these things and then I was doing that those things and I added other things in the seals that I had learned and then I got into yoga and then I added some of those things and then in 2006 um well let me back 2005 I was hired my company was hired by the navy to set up a nationwide mentoring program for seal candidates and it was a great program I knocked the ball of the park um but there was a company that was really pissed that i had won this contract because so i was a little tiny nobody this company was called blackwater <laughs> you know the company <laughs> bonded by eric prince navy seal billionaire yep. and they were big in iraq and they were they wanted this contract bad and they didn't get it sure. well they manipulated the whole situation to where the contract i was a sub to a prime the prime got challenged and the contract got thrown out instead of um the recruiting command sole sourcing this piece of it to me, which I had already, our company was already doing. It's about a $10 million contract. They put it back out to a full and open competition, any size company. And guess who won it? Blackwater. Yeah. So it was was pure fraud, right? The whole thing was fraud. They won it based upon the quality of their uh, staffing, meaning they were bringing a bunch of SEAL Team 6 guys into it, which they never did. They hired every one of my guys. Mm -hmm. It was a total bait (laughs) and switch. So at any rate, um, everyone told me uh, I should fight this, you know, and contest this contract award and blah, 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 blah. And I, I meditated on it and I got the message that don't do it. You know, it's like a minnow trying to attack a shark <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and it's not my path. Government contracting was never my path, right? It's a horrible business yeah. to be in. I, yeah. I think. And there so <laughs> I thought deeply about it. And I said, well, I want to teach warriors and I want to teach them what I know. And I couldn't even do that on the government contract. It was really just corralling people to like PSTs and the pool and stuff. And so, um, I started seal fit in 2006, 2007 ish. And I, I began to train spec ops. It wasn't just seals, but all spec ops in allied nations in these 30 day Warrior monk academies. If you imagine like a Shaolin monastery in America and people would, they would come live with me at this training center I had in Encinitas, California, and we would get up at zero dark 30 and train all day long, you know, sometimes around the clock for 30 days straight. They had one day off. Mm. We did everything. We learned all the, you know, functional fitness and weight training and Olympic lifts and team building and log PT and austere training with sandbags and, you know, running, sprinting, all the different pose, running techniques. Um, leadership and teamwork, mental toughness, all the training that I just described breath work, visualization, meditation, concentration. and um, I put it all together in this it took me a few years, but I, I put it all together in this really cool curriculum. And what I recognized was that the training had these like five primary aspects to it, and those were the five I called them the five mountains, and I actually got that term from um, the current martial art that i was training at the time which was ninjitsu and the ninjitsu Mm. was uh, a former seal who was a 10th degree black belt ninjitsu crazy guy Uh and he called his art Gozan Ra, which meant five mountains they weren't exactly the same as what i did but i love that and so the five mountains were physical mental emotional intuitional and spiritual
0: Mm. and and
1: so what i learned and then i also you know i am a vast um reader and studier of all things related to development and spirituality and psychology and i really got into um, integral theory and developmental psychology and i was getting my doctorate at usd and leadership um, which i didn't finish because i went to war i got mobilized mm-hmm. to go to war and when i you know was there i had time to think and i decided to i didn't want to be an academic i wanted to be a, teach leadership through my business so that's actually before seal fit which led me to be able to develop seal because I was not distracted with my PhD and teaching. Yeah. So at any rate, but I had all this knowledge and I, and I recognized that what I was doing with this 30 day warrior leader Academy, warrior, you know, warrior leader, scholar, monk Academy, was integrated development. And so I started to use that term. I said, we're gonna, we're doing integrated development. We're not just training the body over here and then, Oh, your spiritual stuff is on your own. And, and, oh, you you might have some emotional issues. So, you know, if you do go see a therapist or just talk it out, I was mm-hmm. suggesting that all of these could be trained and trained together in an integrated fashion through daily practices, weekly practices, quarter, you know, monthly, quarterly, some things that we had to go deep on. And so they became a singular focus, others that you know could be trained together. And so even all of our workouts became five mountain workouts where we were breathing, we were visualizing. We were training as a team, working on our emotional development through support and through holding people radically accountable to their character, which you get a lot in the in the seals and the in the, in the military through the briefs, the debriefs especially. Yeah, um, and the brutal honesty that's required, you know, to improve the team and whatnot. So I implemented all that stuff and I called it the Five Mountain Training, and I, I iterated. And any time that I brought a technique that I had learned from martial arts or yoga, I found that. I call it i had to take the fu out of the kung fu because you know the 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 you know the young warriors eyes would glass over if i said okay we're gonna do pranayama you know or yeah. we're gonna we're gonna do you know yoga and they're like mm-hmm. i don't want to do yoga or or my religion says i can't do yoga and i'm like what <laughs> okay so <laughs> let's just stop calling it yoga and i started calling it unbeatable mind so this is what we're doing here. We're actually doing, so yoga is actually the oldest mental development training known to mankind. It's just it's training the mind. Mm-hmm. You train the mind with, by training the body, through concentration, through sensory development, through meditation. That's what it is, and through ethical practices. So I developed this program called Unbeatable Mind to complement all the SEAL-Fit physical training that I was doing. And, um, and five mountain training was a big part of that. And so interesting, I I did this, um, these academies, these 30 day academies for about four years. And then I realized I learned that I could do it in three weeks and then I could do it in two weeks and then one week. And then they became like these one week academies. And then I broke them apart into three day academies to do the physical training and three day academies to do the unreal mind training. And then the crucibles, which were the hardcore hell week style events I did. I still do those. And we have a a program called Kokoro, which is 50 hours of nonstop training. And it's it's harder than Hell Week, actually. (laughs) That's what I'm told by SEALs who do it. And then they go to Hell Week and they're like, come back and they're like, Kokoro was harder. Holy shit. (laughs) I said, yeah, I know. At any rate, so out of that was was an extraordinary period of creativity for me. And Mm -hmm. I ended up with um, three books, four books out of that period of time where I wrote Eight Weeks to Seal Fit, which is the physical mental training program. That was a new york times bestseller and then i wrote i self-published unbeatable mind which i you know still sells great today that's my favorite book i wrote the way of the seal which is really about leadership that came mm-hmm. to me by readers digest wanting me to uh, write something about that and then my <laughs> uh, the integrated practice of yoga i called Kokoro yoga Kokoro means merging your heart and mind in your actions i wrote that uh, with my stepdaughter who was also a yogi and taught helped me teach yoga to the seals oh wow it was really incredible period of time of just pure creativity and innovation and coming up with this whole integrated development model. What we found, I mean, the reason that the SEALs candidates were having 90% success rate is because this type of training where you integrate physical, mental, emotional, intuitional, spiritual training, and you do it every day, it accelerates yeah. your development and you, mm-hmm. and you rapidly ascend through higher stages of development where you have greater awareness, greater access to your internal intuitive powers and your vision and, um, and deep control over your body and your physiology through the breath practices and through the mindfulness practices. And you, you tend to get extraordinarily fit because, you know, the SEAL Fit program is no joke, right? It's, it's designed to get you and keep you at an optimal level of performance. Yeah. And uh, the combination of all those things when you do them together just was just this rapidly accelerating development. Mm-hmm. So I had a lot of people from the you know civilians like uh, you know weekend warriors and you know entrepreneur athletes and people who were you know kind of the, the kind of people that probably you, you meet a lot who are like I I kind of wish I had been a Navy SEAL or if I had two lives I'd be a SEAL or a Ranger you know what yeah. I mean you know or or you know I was gonna do it but <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> right and so I had a lot of those people who are great people come and want to do the training, but they're like, I don't want to do the freaking hard, hard, hardcore stuff. So yeah. do you have anything for me? And so I created this online training called Unveal Mind. And, and so then that spun off to a whole company. Ironically, I'm, I'm bringing SealFit and Unveal Mind back into one company now because I just got, you know we're just too distracted and I took my eye off the ball with SealFit. So we're gonna really mm. reinvigorate SealFit and, and, uh, and bring it to you know, the younger generation because I think the, the country we need to develop mental toughness and emotional resiliency, you know, and mm-hmm. whatever's going on with our woke culture and, and um, the mental issues that we have, you know, they, they, re- they need new solutions. And so I'm going to really reinvigorate seal fit to try to get it out there into more communities.
0: I love that. And it sounds like, and I'd love to get your perspective on this um, as we're winding down here, but you know, what's your philosophy on, you know, men, especially in Western culture here in America, what's your philosophy on us having a rite of passage to being truly good, well-rounded men in society?
1: I think it's really important, but uh, people maybe mistake, first of all, young men should have a rite of passage. And, um, but it doesn't have to be you know, spend a year in the wilderness, right. you know, with a loincloth on, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. The rite of passage could easily be, you know, a service project or, you know, walk a, a walkabout time over in another culture or a silent meditation retreat mm-hmm. or, you know, just a mentor like you or me who takes someone under their wing and starts to really show them like how to really be a man, you know? So mentorship can be a, a, a powerful rite of passage. So my rite of passage came not from my father, but from Nakamura. Right. And, um, and we used to do these you know, karate meditation retreats at the Zen Mountain Monastery. We would go up and you know, we'd work hard for two hours and then we'd meditate for an hour. And then we'd like mm. eat with the monks and wash dishes with them. Then we'd go work hard for two hours and meditate for an hour and rinse and repeat. And we'd do that for four days, twice a year. That, that was a, an example of rite of passage, right? Yeah, and and going through training for and completing something like uh, Kokoro or our our twenty twelve hour or twenty four hour crucibles that's a rite of passage. It's very important for young men. Now, if you're an older guy who never got to experience a rite of passage, which is most people in our culture, yeah, absolutely, most men, all is not lost, right? You know, yeah. you could do the same thing. I can't tell you how many fifty, sixty, and seventy year old men come through our training and. And you just basically heal the, the young inner warrior, right? The, the, the teenager or young aspect of you that got split off and never really got to feel whole or complete or recognized. You get to heal that part of yourself and you get mm-hmm. to live the rest of your lives in peace as opposed to feeling like you're not whole or incomplete or you miss something. And then you play the victim or you blame your parents and all that's bullshit you know, any type of victimization or regrets um, or grievances or guilt or shame, the only way to heal that is just to go inside and to let that shit go and mm-hmm. to forgive yourself. And so the, the, the true rite of passage for all human beings, whether you're young or old, is, is forgiveness. Mm. And you can do that through a daily morning practice of just looking within and asking yourself who you really are and the answer you're going to get is that you're a pretty freaking amazing person every human being is and that's that's the whole point you know we 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 you know we spend this whole life chasing idols outside of ourselves and you literally finally learn to just stop and look within you realize everything you need is right there not in front of your face but behind your face.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Ram Ram Das talks about that all the time. And it, it's das so beautiful awesome. to, yeah, he's, I love Ram Das, but it's beautiful to hear him speak about that. Cause it's true. We all embody it. If we would just look inside and, and really have that conversation internally to find, to find everything we need. Cause it is, you know, everybody is That's pretty right. amazing. If they just and, and,
1: and people fear that by doing that, they're going to give up their identity or they're going to have to give mm-hmm. up all their, accomplishments and wealth and and like become a renunciate and walk away and that's bullshit you don't have to give up anything you gain everything but what happens you become unattached to all those things Mm. right so for me like i if you say you know given the state you're at right now do you strive to be a billionaire i'm like i strive to be but if a billion dollars comes to me through my because of my service that's fucking cool Excuse my language. Yeah. Because guess what? There I can I can serve a lot of people and help a lot mm-hmm. of people with a billion dollars. And I'd much rather be the one doling out a billion dollars than, right? Some some greedy guy who's going to like stuff it in a, in his mattress and then you know pass it on and, and ruin future generations of his family. You know by yeah. you know, creating affluenza. You know down through generations. anyways you don't have to you don't give up anything except for attachment through this practice and um, ultimately you know you can't take it with you but you can die trying you know so what you really want is to be at the end of your life radically healthy whole happy 120 50 years old thriving and when you're ready to go you just literally turn off the switch and you have no regrets and your family's full whole happy healthy and everyone's, you know, kind of in this state of honor there's no grieving because you lived a good life and you're ready to go. That's mm. the way to live as a human being, in my opinion.
0: Mm, I love that brother. And man, that couldn't be more perfect timing for that. As we're rounding out here, um, I'll have two last questions for you. The la- the, the first of the two is Uh, How can people support you? And what do you have going on right now that people can tap into to get into your ecosystem?
1: That's cool. Thanks for doing that. Well, if you're interested in supporting um, vets who are suffering, then our Courage Foundation is really um, working hard. We have a unique program of a year-long integration program called the Veteran Integration Program. Because, you know, vets who suffer, you know, there's a lot of programs out there as you know but they're usually like go do this for three days and then you're on your own <laughs> mm-hmm, and so we yeah. want people to go do those things psychedelic therapy you know uh things to heal tbi um you know the different types of retreats that teach you yoga and and and, and, and skills for self-moderation or self-management but then what we want to do is is have like a you, you know re engage you with a team of committed peers coached by a special operations guy for a year Mm -hmm. so you've got that team and and you begin to work together to find purpose and all that so that's the courage foundation we really need help raising money and and support with these programs um website is uh, couragefoundationusa.org my my personal website markdivine.com you know kind of has everything that i do you know information about my podcast the mark divine show is In the books as Mm -hmm. well as my um, unbeatable mind program and seal fit and if you're interested in the seal fit we have events sealfit.com and if you're interested in joining our our community where we just have conversations like this and we do live trainings every month with me and and other coaches you can find information about that at unbeatablemind.com and uh, Mm -hmm. we have like a, a free trial it's and it's 39 a month to just join the community um we want people to engage deeper in our training, you know, and to come to our events and whatnot. But if, you know, if you're not ready for that, then you just come into our, our online community and, and start to do healthy things with us. Five mountain training. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. I love that. Yeah. Get tapped into the ecosystem, see what it's all about, start to feel comfortable and then make a move to get yourself in the physical presence. So That's I love right. that. And we'll, we'll get all the links put into the show notes so everybody listening. If there's something that really resonated with you that Mark said, then go ahead and make sure that you uh, tap into um, his ecosystem, get part of it, get, get active in your self-development. So I appreciate this. And your last question is what does the art of masculinity mean to you?
1: Yeah, I think we've talked about it this whole podcast. The art of masculinity is, is um, finding balance, finding that stillness and action, action, stillness and being whole. And, and letting go of perfectionism, righteousness, judgment, regrets, letting go of fear, being courageous. And the courage is found within. The courage comes from the heart. Fear is in the head. So get out of your head, get into your heart, and be a whole person. That's the art of masculinity.
0: Uh, I love that. Thank you for sharing that, Mark. And thank yeah. you for your time and your wisdom, sir. This has been amazing to have you on and to everybody listening, make sure you guys follow Mark, support him, get into his ecosystem, get what he, be part of what he's doing because it's beautiful. So I appreciate you brother. And to everybody listening, as always remember to drop the ego and stay humble until next time.